This episode of Women on the Rise is sponsored by The Riveter, a workspace designed for women and their advocates. Stay tuned to the end for more information about how you can join The Riveter's movement and ambition. And so that I I look at it as a connection to myself. And so when I'm at my very best, that's me asking myself, what is, you know, just as I would my daughter, just as I would my, my, my husband, like, what is it that you need? Uh, So asking my, myself, my body, my spirit, what do you need? Uh, That has been really, um, that's changed things for me dramatically, at least in the last half year. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm your host, Laura Dolch, and each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover a new insight or practical strategy that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Today, I'm talking to Tanya Geisler. Tanya is a certified life and business coach, TEDx women speaker, and writer. She teaches women and women-identified people how to step into their starring roles, own their authority, and overcome the imposter complex in their life, in their work, and in their life's work. She is a powerful catalyst for Women on the Rise, and I can't wait for you to meet her. Thank you so much for being here, Tanya. I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So, you know, I um, it's been a little while since we first talked about doing this interview, but I, I'm you know, thinking back to when I was prepping for this conversation and realizing that um, you and I do really the same work, <laughs> just from different angles in the sense that we're both really empowering women to step into whatever role they see for themselves um, and helping them shine. So I would love to start with, you know, you know, listeners sort of know how I do that coming at it from the angle of, of health and wellness and self-care. How specifically do you do that? So women enter my work because they know that there is a a purpose. We talk about the starring role. It's sort of shorthand for the purpose. It's shorthand for the thing that you are here to do to activate from, but your imposter complex is running roughshod on your life, right? And it's, uh, it's getting you coming and going and it, it may have you stuck in procrastination or perfectionism or leaky boundaries or diminishment or comparison um, or people pleasing. And uh, usually people will uh, recognize that they're in one of these behaviors and that is inhibiting them from stepping into their starring role, their purpose, Mm -hmm. the thing that they're here to do. And I help them to come back to center and to identify all of the the trickiness that is the imposter complex and um, let that be, like let that go because the imposter complex is always going to show up on the precipice of our expansion. Wow. Uh, so it's really through the, the access of my work, typically people will access my work I, having identified one of these behaviors that is a behavioral trait of the imposter complex. Got it. And actually, yeah, can you talk a little bit more like stepping back and talking about, you know, what the imposter complex is, you know, and the the research around that. And then, yeah, what those things are that people can kind of look for um, as the, the barriers that it throws up, so to speak. 
So uh, I always start with a history lesson because I did not coin the phrase imposter complex to be certain. Uh, clinical psychologist Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes uh, back in 1978 working with high-functioning, high-achieving women. Uh, and they noticed this through line with these remarkably successful women. And they noticed that they seemed to be incapable of internalizing their success. Their Any success that they had, they would point to uh, fluke or luck or timing or having somehow managed to deceive people into thinking they were more smart or capable <laughs> than they actually were. Yeah. Uh, their failures, on the other hand, they were more than able to internalize. So they called this the imposter phenomenon. So you're the imposter and everybody like you're going to be, it's just a matter of time before you get found out. Uh, we have since 78, we've now started to call it the imposter syndrome, uh, which is actually not, clin that's not actually correct, uh, which is unfortunate for my work because SEO loves imposter syndrome, but I can't use it because <laughs> it actually is not a clinical diagnosis. It's an experience. Right. It's, a, it's a phenomenon um, and, and it is a complex. So that's what it is. You know, that's the, that's the 101 on it. Um, we also know that it is an instrument of evolution. Um, Bioevolutionary bio scientists speak about this phenomenon as uh, a way to not mutate too quickly. Oh, interesting. Right. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. And, and then we also have, you know, we, we have their scripts from ancient sages of, of India speaking about this as uh, chala or fraud factor. Um, so, I mean, it's been, <laughs> it's been around since the yeah. beginning of time and we're just really starting to understand it now. It's very gendered in this conversation largely because, I mean, everybody experiences what I'm trying to say, uh, but we think about it in terms of women often because uh, the the original work that Clance and Imes were doing was with women. Mm -hmm. And then Valerie Young wrote a book called Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. Again, um, speaking about the woman's experience with it. There's another piece to it that has it be rather gendered. And that is that the, these behavioral traits that I named at the very top of this call are also... Uh, so there's a predisposition because of our feminine conditioning. And that I use feminine conditioning with the caveat that those are words from uh, Coach Joke Casey. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe she's the one that I've heard mentioning this the first time. Uh, so those are, that's the people pleasing. That's the... Um, the leaky boundaries that's the diminishment that's the shh, 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 right like like just like yes yeah. like shut her down like just shh, we don't need to don't let's not take up too much space mm -hmm. um comparison and then procrastination and and certainly perfectionism i think we can link back to um uh, conditioning that we have experienced as women and women identified folks so um so that's why it often is a very gendered conversation and men absolutely experience it as well, which is, yeah. it just shows up in a bit, bit of a different way. So the reason these behavioral traits are really important is they're double binds, which means that it gets us coming and going. We go to these behaviors so that we don't feel like the imposter in a given situation. Mm -hmm. uh, but then 
by engaging in that behavior, we actually feel more like the imposter. So mm -hmm. for an example, if you are, um, say your go-to, mine happens to be people-pleasing, okay? That is my, like, I have done lots and lots of work around my <laughs> procrastination, my perfectionism, you know, got a good handle on that. My leaky boundaries, got a good handle. People-pleasing, still, absolutely. It becomes a little less and less the older I get, uh, mm. but it's still really important to me that everybody likes me. Everybody likes me. <laughs> right. So, yeah. What happens then is so I want to make sure that I fit in. I want to make sure that I'm in the center of a group. So I'm going to use my charm. I'm going to use my likability. But then what happens, and here's the double bind, when I get given opportunities, when I get offered speaking gigs or, or people want to collaborate with me, I will immediately, as someone experiencing the imposter complex uh, and going to people-pleasing as my, as my behavioral trait, I'm going to just assume that they're giving me the opportunity because they like me, not because right. I'm actually brilliant at what I do, not yeah. because I'm actually a very learned in this subject matter. Yeah. So that's what I mean when I say it gets you kind of coming and going. So that's why it's this multi-headed hydra. So I'm endlessly fascinated with it and trying to unhook us from um, yeah, the power of the imposter complex. Yeah. Well, and can you talk a little bit more about leaky boundaries? Because I think that um, like the others seem fairly, you know, clear and we can all relate to perfectionism and um, people pleasing that, but, but leaky boundaries, I think might need some more explanation. Perhaps. Yeah. And, and Randy Buckley is, you know, she is my she, uh, a dear friend of mine, um, does a lot of work with healthy boundaries for kind people. Uh, mm -hmm. It's really important work. Uh, so when I talk about leaky boundaries, what I'm talking about is we allow, uh, we allow for malleable structures around us. And it means we're not protecting our energy. It means we're not protecting our time. It means we're not protecting our resources. Mm -hmm. uh, so for those of us who are, um, you know, helpers, we want to make sure that everybody has access to all that we have. Uh, and then we find that there are some folks in our life who will just take as much as take as much as we will give them. Yeah. Uh, so that's just one way that it's going to manifest. As it relates specifically to the imposter complex, I always think about it in the context of, once again, we want to belong. And that's what the imposter complex is really, it really digs into our tribal need to belong. Uh, not belonging is the, is the worst thing. So feeling like the imposter is the worst thing. So if I'm standing in a group and everyone is agreeing with, um, there's, you know, there's an idea on the table, uh, and I want to just get along. And even though I want to say no, maybe I'll say yes, or maybe I want to say yes, but I'll say no, or whatever it is, just to go along with everyone else. I have allowed my boundaries to leak. I have agreed to something that is not mine. I have uh, claimed an opinion that is not mine. There is a, I've just lost a bit of my own internal integrity. Mm -hmm. That's where the boundaries are leak. And so now, here's where the, you know, the imposter complex shows up. I am now standing in an opinion that's not mine. I am actually the imposter. So that's right. the double bind of the imposter complex as it relates to leaky boundaries. Um, so Randy's got some fantastic work around how to bolster our boundaries. And she and I actually did a free class a while back that I can link to um, yeah, on great. imposter complex and boundaries. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I was curious about that one in particular, because I think that the boundary issue comes up in the conversation around self-care a lot. Um, and, you know, with the, with the clients that I work with, you know, you know, creating boundaries with the other people in their lives and, you know, what those people need versus what they need is, is a, is a huge topic of conversation. I'm curious, does self-care, does the idea of self-care come up in your work with your clients at all? Is it relevant? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Uh, (laughs) Sort of uh, yeah. a rhetorical question, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, even when I think about the very first place that I start, um, I have people look at what their brand of joy is. And so this is, um, I really want people to understand what makes them their most essential self. Even before we start talking about the role that they want to step into, we need to discern what your brand of joy is. So for me, joy means connection and gratitude and generosity. And so for somebody else, what I call joy, they will call freedom and um, they will call ease. They will call luxury. They will call something entirely different, but their understanding of it. And typically what happens the moment we step into this exercise, which, which seems like it would be super delightful, uh, really brings up a whole host of, oh my gosh, I am not tending to these values in my life. And in so doing, I'm not tending to my self-care because so much of these are inextricably linked with our self-care. So yeah, yeah, it shows up all the time. Um, And then it also shows up in and around, um, you know, when we decide what we want to step into. There's so many beliefs about how frivolous that is. And, and, how, and then how hard it is. So how do we support ourselves as we do this hard work of stepping into our starring role? And usually that's in and around keeping our tank full. And usually that's in and around deciding how decidedly unfull our tanks actually are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's why it's, it's like, you know, our work is so similar in that way in the sense that, yeah, you can't step into your starring role, right? Unless your tank is full, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, um, you know, without going into the level of depth that you would go to with a client, obviously, but, you know, are there sort of one or two things that you can offer to listeners who might be experiencing some of this imposter complex to begin, you know, the process of unraveling it? Yeah. So there are three main objectives of the imposter complex and, um, and once we know what those are, then we can, our strategies are super specific. It wants to keep you out of action, right? It wants to keep you down and low to the ground. Um, It wants to have you doubt your capacity and it wants to keep you alone and isolated. These are the three things that it's trying to do. And so you can even see that when you feel this moment of who do I think I am? They're going to find out um, if I do X, Y, or Z, or it's just a matter of time before this all crumbles. Whatever that belief is that you have that leads you to this place, it's going to keep you out of action. It's going to have you doubt your capacity and it's going to have you alone and isolated. So our strategies need to be, need to just hit those objections head on. So the first is, um, 
when it wants to keep you out of action, you need to really face the objections, face those internal beliefs that you have around why you're not ready yet, um, why it's actually not just a matter of time before this all crumbles beneath you, why you are absolutely the one to share this message, why you are absolutely the one to lead this movement. Um, so that's your job is to come back to center and to uncollapse the internal dialogue and even the external critics who are actually maybe some people in your life are saying, it's not safe. Don't do that. Right. So yeah. really listen, not like this is like simple, not easy. <laughs> <laughs> the next is we need to, if it wants us to doubt our capacity, we need to remind ourselves on a cellular level. Why? We are absolutely the person to do X, Y, and Z. All of the times that we have stood on the, this very precipice of expansion, even if it didn't look exactly like this. Yeah. Um, and then when we do that from an internal place with some structures around you know, weekly wins that we are starting to track, um, really looking at everything in our life that we've delivered and, and, and healed and survived and created and all of it, then we can start to believe people when they reflect back to us just how remarkable we truly are. Because especially if you're a people pleaser, you're not going to believe them. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, like I, I call it bolstering your authority thesis, like really drinking deeply from the well that is your capacity. Uh, and then the third is, it wants you to feel alone and isolated. Your job is to make sure that you are surrounded with the best. Make sure that you are surrounded with people who uh, are your people because not everybody is your people, but your people are your people and make sure that you have them surrounding you and ask them for help and receive it. So those are the three strategies, but I also wanted to say only just like the people that Clance and Imes are working with, by virtue of the fact that you experience the imposter complex, it means that you are high functioning with strong values of integrity, mastery, and excellence. Right? Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is not a bad thing. Actual frauds don't feel like frauds. Yeah, yeah. So that's just like, I just want to, it's this, we keep thinking about it as this thing that we are trying to, to never experience. It's actually, when, when it shows up, it's letting us know that we are at an edge, a very important edge, because you only experience it in places of your life that matter. Like when you are about to rise, that's when it's going to show up. Totally, totally. And I think that's probably one of the most important things that I've learned from you in, in the time that I've known you is, yeah, that, that it shows up right when you're getting ready to do something big or to rise or whatever it is. And, and, and just sometimes knowing that is enough, at least for me to, mm-hmm. to, to like diffuse it like, Oh, okay, there it is. That, that maybe that's a good sign. <laughs> right. This clearly matters to me. This yeah. clearly matters. Like I, I, uh, not very long ago within the last, I don't know, couple of months, I wrote a post about, it. I don't believe people when they tell me they don't experience the imposter complex. So I'll be like, I'm this really <laughs> like you haven't stretched, you haven't gone to an yeah. edge lately. Well, maybe that's an invitation. Right. Yeah, for sure. Cause yeah, maybe that's why it's not showing up. And I also, the other strategy that I'll just share really works very well for me is having that running list of times that I was able to overcome or succeed. And, and to your point earlier, it doesn't have to be in the same like area, right? Like just because you don't have an example of an accept, a success in this, you know, one thing that you're working on doesn't mean that you haven't been successful in figuring it out or overcoming or whatever in other areas. And that that's, for me, that's an internal dialogue that I have a lot like, oh, 
right, I've done something like this before. I've had this experience before. And when I jumped, I didn't die. Like right, I didn't, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Right. So when I often do this, I'll say like, what did you do? What's the award that you won in grade seven? Like right. when you put the stage, yeah. like, what well, did that feel? It felt exactly like this. The first time you, you were asked to manage a team, you didn't know what you're doing. And yet you managed the team, right? Like yeah. we have this, I, I, I use this with, with more compassion than you might, or grace or something that, that I hope, I, I hope you can feel the compassion. There's an arrogance that shows up here. We want to be masterful yeah. in something before we have even stepped into it. Yeah, totally. It's not reasonable, but what we can do to actually step into it, it's like you say, remind ourselves when we have been at this place with the sweaty palms and what <laughs> happened after we took that step. Right, right. Well, and as you said, having your tribe, I mean, that's a good to have those people that you can talk to about that. That's been really, mm-hmm. that's an important part of any journey. And and I think as a business owner, that's been especially important for me to find those people and, and you're one of them. So thank you for being part oh. of my tribe. Yeah. There's you. And then there's the you, you only dream about that you is confident, put together and vibrant. She's through hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, starting her own business, traveling solo to Tibet, or nailing her presentation at the corporate retreat. You know you have it in you, yet something keeps getting in your way. It's the daily ups and downs of life, the just this time poor decisions, and the constant reacting to everyone else's needs and never your own. The frantic pace of 21st century life has interrupted your rise to your goals. I help women like you, women on the rise, take back their health and happiness so they can make lasting changes and achieve their goals. Together, we form new habits that transform daily life from a slog to an intentional path to a brand new you. Visit laradolch.com slash vibrant health playbook to learn more about my eight week total health and wellness program for women. Vibrant health playbook is your ticket to the vibrant, inspired and powerful life you're looking for. You know, I'm curious about, um, you know, switching back to the conversation around self-care and obviously it, it's a big part of, you know, the the framework that you're working with with your clients. How do you personally at this point in your life define self-care or well-being, however you want to look at that? How do I define it? Uh, it's it, like pretty specifically care of self. Um you know, I have, I mentioned one of my, my brand of joy is joy and gratitude, generosity, and connection are pivotal. Uh, but that can under connection, it's really connection with myself. It's definitely connection with, you know, you and with everybody who's listening, uh, and my family, but it's about myself. And, uh, just like the women that you work with, sometimes I put myself at the bottom of the list and, uh, I'm not even I, on the list. You know, I, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There is that. Um, and so that I, I look at it as a connection to myself. And so when I'm at my very best, that's me asking myself, what is, you know, just as I would my daughter, just as I would my, my, my husband, like, what is it that you need? Uh, so asking my, myself, my body, my spirit, what do you need? Uh, that has been really, um, that's changed things for me dramatically, at least in the last half year, I'll say. Yeah. That's such a great question. Yeah. What is it that you need? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, and, that, and it's so funny because I say this about with asking for help. 
what is it that you need? What is it that you would want? And then what is it that you would love? Right? So those are these, the, the, once I get a response about what I need, then it's like, okay, now body, like, what do you really want? Yeah. And what would you love to have? Now we can't always get to love, but <laughs> sometimes need is, need is good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And are there, are there specific habits or maybe just one habit that you have, whether it's daily or weekly that you feel like um, in the realm of self-care that you feel like, disproportionately affects your ability to show up or step into your starring role or however you want to frame that? Well, it's, uh, I love, I, I love this. You and I could talk about this for a day. <laughs> um, when I think about the stepping into your starring role process, it's, I think of it as an evolution. It's never, it's very, uh, you know, we're constantly evolving, which is why the imposter complex is constantly showing up because we're co- always at a new edge and a new edge. So um, I don't, I think about things in terms of cycles in my life. So I'm going through a new cycle. So movement has become really important to me. Six months ago, it was not very important to me, but it's become much more important to me. Um, And so that's part of the ongoing check-in. And so I don't do the same routine. You know, my yoga practice of three years ago will not support me now. Uh, Now I need something much more dynamic and I'm working, I'm going to a personal trainer's to her actual house because that's the kind of accountability that I need. Like not even like, you know, I can make up lots of reasons. I'm not going to go to that smelly old gym. Um, But so like just like constantly calibrating what's going to support me um, now because we're constantly in different cycles. And I just shared with you that my dad just passed away. So I have different needs. I have, I need more water. I need touching into what my body's asking for has been a total, I wouldn't be able to have this conversation if I wasn't checking in with that. And I feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and is that a, so, you know, is that a skill, like the, the ability to tune into your body and really understand the messages that it's sending you? I mean, that's something that I work with my clients on very deeply because a lot of people have lost touch with that or, or really were never taught that. How did that come to be for you? Is that something that you learned as an adult? Is it something you've always been able to do? No, definitely something I learned as an adult. Um, I think, I really think just being in this line of work, I get to meet so many fascinating people like you. I mean, really and truly for the first number of years, I really just only understood self-care as the oxygen mask going on first. And and that was just like, okay, I got that. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. (laughs) Um, But I wasn't really getting it. And so I think just having exposure to fascinating people who are really making this a priority and, and just recognizing the through line of people that I admire greatly were people that had prioritized um, yeah. self-care and that they had no apology about it. Then they were, they weren't equivocating. They weren't making excuses. They weren't, they were just, it was as important as paying the mortgage or, you know, um, feeding the parking meter or whatever it is. It's just something that gets done. And so uh, I think the trap that we run into, or I'll say this for myself, is thinking that we have a set it and forget it kind of approach. Mm-hmm. And so that is, that was probably like, you know, one version one, 1.0 for me was, all right, just somebody give me a plan and I'll stick to it. Right. Um, but just really realizing that it is iterative, it is evolving, it is changing just as I'm evolving and changing. Um, and so the ongoing practice, that's really been in the last 
I'll, I'll say two years, but last half year where I'm devoted to it, like in the morning, what are we going to need? Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, I'm so glad you said that because the evolution is so important and being able to, I mean, that's part of, you know, having the ability to tune into your body allows you to evolve, right? It allows you to adjust that self-care plan. Cause I think you're right. Many women fall into that trap. I mean, you know, my vibrant health playbook program is all about developing a personal playbook that is adjustable with you. Like, you know, it gives you the tools, you know, so you create it right now, but it's going to change six months from now, or even a month from now or a week from now. And you have to be able to have that toolbox of questions to ask yourself. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I was talking to someone the other day about this whole tuning into your body thing. And I was sort of remembering that the way that I learned how to do that was, um, when I became a certified Pilates instructor, because Pilates or any discipline like that, where you have to be so it's, such a mind-body discipline, you cannot do it well or at all unless you're very present. And that for me, I think looking back on it was the beginning of that journey of like, oh, I'm like in touch with my body again, or maybe for the first time ever. Um, So I'm just, I'm mentioning that because I think there are lots of different ways to come at it. And for me, that, that movement discipline was part of it. Um, Yeah. You're, you're giving me something to think about too, as I've got a 13 year old daughter and, um, it's hard, it's hard to see. Like I can see where she feels very disconnected from her own body, which is so painful because I'm so not. Um, so like just thinking through what are some of the tools that I can, that I can be offering her. So that's helpful. Thank you for reminding me. Oh, please. My pleasure. And well, and it's funny thinking about that. Yeah. Like thinking about to like, you know, back to when I was 13, like that wouldn't, I wouldn't have had any, um, what, what, (laughs) what does that mean? Like, you know, it just, it wouldn't have even, shown up. And then you see, you know, I mean, anyway, it, there are all kinds of side effects of, of being disconnected from your body. Um, things like eating disorders and, you know, just, you know, punishing workout routines and things that where you're ignoring your body signals or, or just not even aware that they're coming through mm-hmm. um, at that age. So yeah, but yeah, for me, that was really, that was really helpful. And then the journey kind of continued from there. Right. Um, so, you know, what are your, I, 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 I'm curious about your thoughts about work-life balance. And I, I hesitate because it's a term that I feel like is loaded. <laughs> um, and I, I used to ask it of all my guests. And now I just sort of, I don't know, throw it out when I feel like throwing it out. But what are your thoughts on that? Is it possible? What does it look like for you? I remember writing this a million years ago and I thought this is so clever. And I wrote, um, <laughs> work-life balance shouldn't be a balancing act. And I was like, Oh, isn't that just so, <laughs> I'm so brilliant. <laughs> so brilliant. Um, and it's, 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 it's hard. It's yeah. just hard. Um, I don't know that I have any like really big wisdom on this. I think that for me, I come back to, you know, your what your brand of joy is and how can you have more of that in your life and in your home? I mean, you can see my kid everywhere in my office. And that's for me, I had to, uh, when I made the decision to, to run this business, there were some really specific reasons, um, as it related to my family. And so some of those decisions were really, really, really hard. And, um, yeah, I, I it's it is such a personal thing, and we all we all grapple with it in our own way. But I think what's most important is that we keep our eye on our own papers and our own paths and our own way of accessing our joy. So for 
of. If you're somebody who needs to work more than you need to be home with your family, then have at it. And, you know, it's, I think it's just really knowing what is best for you is the most loving, kind, and compassionate thing you can do for yourself. And most certainly that you can do for your vocation, for your family, for um, your life. Um, what, you know, I know we're not just talking about family, but we're talking about what is it that really brings you that greatest sense of joy. And I'll just say also, there are times when I cannot wait to get away from my life and, uh, you know, my life being the friends and the family and the house and the this and that, and, yeah. and getting onto that plane and like just immersing myself into work and, um, knowing what makes me tick. Um, that's just been the most liberating thing I could possibly do. Um, and so I have no, you know, just like those people that I admire that have made self-care a priority without equivocation, without, without any apology. That's, for me, that's such liberation to be able to say, this is the thing that I absolutely need to do to be a kinder, more helpful, more useful human being on this planet, which I think we need lots more of. Um, so I think it's knowing, knowing what our set points are and our edges that we can grow and expand. Um, I think that that's the best we can do in terms of yeah, yeah. finding that balance for ourselves. No, I like that. I like that framework, the knowing what your set points are. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I mean, that's sort of the way that I approach it too, because it's really, I like to think of it more as an integration than a balance. You know, it's more like, you know, but you can't do that unless you know what those set points are. In fact, yes. I was posting something um, uh, in a, in co-commercial in a business group that you and I are both um, part of yesterday about my sort of commitments to myself this week. And it was in the context of a business conversation, but it just happened that this, this particular week, all of my commitments were more personal in nature. Um, and someone commented on, thank you for reminding us that that's part of this, <laughs> right? Because totally. this particular week balance to me looks like tending to those things. Whereas last week balance to me looked like tending to some very specific business tasks. Absolutely. I love that. I really love that. And, and we do this in the Academy. We talk about, um, uh, you know, I think gratitude journals are really, really important. Uh, one of the things that the imposter complex loves to remind us uh, is, is how lucky we are, right? You just got lucky. So sometimes I think a gratitude practice can fall into the land of like looking at all the graces around you rather than looking at what you have managed to make happen. Mm. And you're reminding me too, that oftentimes, so we have this weekly win. Um, so what is like, what did you co-create? What did you deliver? What, like, what did you design? What did you, whatever. And, um, I love, as you mentioned that seeing such a split in the women that are in the Academy around, I managed to, you know, stay on my cleanse and, rocked that talk. Um, you know, it's, I, I love that. So I think that, and that's for some, it's all individual. And I think where we start to suffer though, is when we start to compare our, uh, what's on our plate to what's on other people's plates. And I think that that's like such a, a comparison is such a trap. Yeah. Yeah. And it just occurs to me as you're saying that it's an interesting, um, maybe not really a paradox, but it occurs to me that, uh, part of finding your tribe and being part of so co-commercial, for example, is part of my mm-hmm. tribe right now. And at the same time, being part of a tribe, you know, you're seeing all these other people and what they're doing. And so you're going to be more prone to perhaps comparing yourself at the same time. And yet, so it's like this weird, you know, it's a good thing. And yet you have to be conscious of, of not comparing yourself. Yeah. I think that the, you know, I, I've done a lot of work with uh, Lauren Bacon and 
I have a program we created called Beyond Compare because I think the comparison is just such a, it's just such a tricky beast. And um, I think it's really important that we do it. You know, we, like it's a teacher to be certain. It lets us know what we want more of in our lives. Um, and that's it, when we do the hero worship thing, but also when we disdain, when we look at people, we go, ugh. Can never do that. Yeah. There's learnings in that too. Like maybe we have beliefs around people being smarmy marketers, but maybe that's pointing to a need for a different marketing uh, mm-hmm. technique to, to bring into our. So I think that there's, it's, it's all information. Uh, so I, when I think about comparison, though, I think it's useful, a little like the imposter complex, not necessarily something to eradicate, but just notice where we are uh, being nourished by the practice or where we're being depleted by the practice. Mm, and yeah. so I think that that's just like, when is, it, when is it just helpful information and when is it starting to become, when, is it, when are we tipping over? Mm. Uh, and again, anytime we are doing work, when we go to compare, we, that's where we leave ourselves. We are leaving our own process. We are leaving our own experience. And we're, we're, we're just leaving ourselves. And what you do and what I do is all about having us come back to our work, not leaving it. So yeah. it's endless, you know, even with the brand of joy. I know people in the academy are like, well, your brand of joy is just so much more interesting than mine. I'm like, stop. <laughs> Wow. Talk about comparison. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, it's, it's so true. And it's, um, oh, that we could talk about that for a whole hour. I have so many things to say about that, but since we don't have another hour, I won't, I won't go there, but, but thank you for sharing that. Um, and I think, uh, you know, one of the, one of the great ways to sort of, um, figure out when it's detrimental and when it's perhaps, perhaps helpful is to, tune into your body. Your body tells you, right? <laughs> so it all kind of, for me, it all comes back to that. Like you can feel it in your body, right? Yes, 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 yes. yes. Absolutely. So what's next for you? What, what are you excited about right now? I am excited about, uh, I'm taking my family to France. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, that's been something that was such a long time that we've been talking about, talking at and talking around. And, um, so I'm excited about that just from a personal level. Uh, I have some really fun speaking gigs that are coming up, um, yeah, over the next two quarters and, I will be relaunching uh, my starring role playbook. So I'm excited about how that's going to look. I've been reimagining that for a while. So I'm really excited. And then, you know, and opening up the Academy again um, at the end of the year. But uh, before that, we've got uh, our gala in Toronto that we've just start we've just started planning for. So I love, I love putting on a party. So that's very exciting. I so those are the things. Are awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah. So where can people learn more about you and your work? TanyaGeisler.com is best place to find me. And I'm Tanya Geisler everywhere on social media. <laughs> Perfect. I will put those links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Tanya. I know this was really helpful to many, many women listening. So um, thank you for that. That makes me very happy. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for your graciousness and your fabulous questions and your deep care and respect for your listeners. Beautiful. Thank you. 
that's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. Visit lauradolch.com slash podcast for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe in the iTunes store or in Apple Podcasts. If you liked what you heard, I so appreciate your reviews and recommendations because they help me reach as many women on the rise as possible. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Tune in every week for new interviews that give you the practical tools you need to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. The Riveter is a women forward workspace designed for community work and wellness, not just a desk and a co-working space. The Riveter is a transformative movement for all women and their advocates to invite ambition. The Riveter provides the support resources and amenities to build successful businesses. Their members are entrepreneurs, remote workers, consultants, and everyone in between. They even have a community membership plan that provides access to professional development and fitness programming without the desk. The Riveter now has two locations in Seattle's Capitol Hill and Fremont neighborhoods and a third location will open this year in LA. If you're interested, visit info.theriveter.co that's co slash women on the rise for a special offer for women on the rise listeners. That's info.theriveter.co slash women on the rise.